Hey team, you're about to experience my interview with Martin Jensen. Martin is the co-founder of Centra Commerce, and for the last six years, they have been building Centra Commerce as a headless e-commerce platform that also does so much more. It has a lightweight PIM system built in, order management built in, and it supports D2C and B2B brands. This is the E-Commerce Edge Podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I have another cracking episode lined up for you today. I have Martin Jensen, and he is the co-founder of Centra Commerce. Welcome, Martin, to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's awesome to have you along for the ride today. We, we've tried to connect up. I know that Eba from your team has been trying to hook us up for a couple of months now, and then we had a bit of a delay in trying to find time zones that worked between you based in Rocklaw Poland and me now based in Mexico. And finally, we were able to tee something up. So I'm really glad that we finally be able, we were able to make this happen. Yeah, finally. Yeah, it's taken us great. a couple of months, but we got there in the end. <laughs> yes. Now, just briefly, before we dig into your technology and how you came to get here and what you've been building out over the last nearly six years, you didn't necessarily come from a direct e-commerce or digital background. You come from a management consulting background. So what, what caused you to make the leap between management consulting over at McKinsey and founding your own e-commerce platform company? Yeah, it's a funny story, actually. My background, as you said, was in strategy consulting, and I was working on a lot of different types of digital strategies and digital transformations for various types of companies, and became very interested in the e-commerce space. And then I came touch with the other co-founders of Centra and they already actually had the idea for Centra and they were running a web agency at the time building websites for brands and based on that experience they felt there's not any really any good e-commerce software for doing what they wanted to do and they had the, the idea about Centra and then we found each other and um, yeah, the rest is history. It was at first sight. Amazing story. Now you're originally from Sweden, and you're originally from Stockholm, and you made the move. You made the move to Poland, and I'm guessing were your co-founders already based in Poland, and that was what caused you to make the move. No, it's a split team. So one, 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 but one person is Polish origin in the team. But we quite quickly realized that we, the company was founded in Stockholm. In Sweden, we just quite quickly realized that we need to hire more engineering talent than we could find in Stockholm. So we opened the office in, in Poland immediately, actually yeah, from the get-go. Wow. Um, wow. And I wasn't aware that I guess Poland was like a hotbed of engineering talent. Of course, we're all mostly familiar with Ukraine and other parts of Europe that kind of have different pools of development talent. But I wouldn't have immediately leapt to my mind that Poland was a hotbed of development talent. Ukraine, of course, certainly also a center of like excellent engineering expertise. But Poland has the highest number of, of science and engineering and math, female science and engineering and math graduates in all of Europe. And I think Poland Poland is number three or something like that overall. So it's uh, so there are lots of good technical universities, engineering universities. So it's uh, we just looked at the map. So none of us had any relationship with Wrocław in particular before. So we just looked at the map, looked at different cities. So where is there good access to engineering talent? And then we ended up in, in Wrocław, Poland. Wow, that's an amazing story. That's a resounding endorsement for any other companies that may be working in digital or maybe working in e-com. 
if they're looking for a pool of talent to, to draw from. Because really, at the end of the day, what it seems like today is it's not so much necessarily trying to find cheap talent. It's just being able to find talent full stop. It's where can we find almost a ready-made community of developers that can help contribute to the rapid growth of what we're trying to build. And that seems to be the, that seems to be the bottleneck right now. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's not at all about the low cost play. It's just about access to talent with the right quality. Look, when we analyze the Stockholm market for um, engineers with a computer science background, it turns out there is one one college in Stockholm that 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 has a good computer science program. They have 150 uh, students graduating per year from that program, one five zero, and that's supposed to be enough for all of the tech companies in Stockholm, which are quite a few of them hiring people in the hundreds and in the thousands. And we just realized that we will not be able, this will not work out. The math just, it doesn't add up. It makes no sense. Yes, um, it can't be done for us. We're very happy with that decision to open up like a tech hub early on. That doesn't mean we don't have engineers in Stockholm, but it just means that we just, we figured out that we can't find enough of them. Yeah, t- totally understand. This is a story that I hear over and over again in my conversations with other vendors and technologists is just how can we find enough people to grow at the rate we're growing at? And how can we how can we onboard them into our businesses as seamlessly and quickly as possible so that they're productive as soon as possible? And how can we train them up in our way of thinking? So yeah, if you can find a ready-made pool of talent that works in with your business pretty seamlessly, then you're one step ahead of the game. Now, in terms of Ocentra, you guys have really, you guys were way ahead of the game and way ahead of the curve in terms of mock. You, you're a headless, a modular, headless commerce platform. And you guys were building out your model for Centra long before headless was really that commonly talked about or discussed Absolutely. as a platform model. Maybe you can go through a little bit of what the your co-founders thinking was when they came up with this composable commerce platform with the different modules, why was it that they felt, hey, let's move away from this monolithic model of e-commerce platform delivery and let's move to a almost like decentralized, modularized instead? Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent question. First of all, I want to clarify that we didn't invent headless e-commerce. Of course. It was not, I heard that said that not here, but at some point in time, and that's incorrect. I think there were other guys having the same idea about headless e-commerce at the same time, but Centra was definitely one of the first natively headless e-commerce platforms. It This really comes from the background of running a web agency and building e-commerce stores. And that back at that time, there were other platforms that were dominating Magento. And by the way, by that, I don't mean Magento 2, Magento 1. And just realizing that, hey, this is not the clever way to do it. We wanted to do a really advanced brand e-commerce. What we found was that quite often you're very limited by the very poor EMSs and themes or templates that are built into the e-commerce platforms. And headless, the headless web or headless web applications were, were maturing at this time. And by, by headless in this sense, just that the front end communicates with the back end using an API. That's how you build all front end applications nowadays. And we just realized, that, hey, why don't we just do an e-commerce form that is just a business logic engine? It is not the front end, it's not the CMS, 
it has nothing to do with how we present things. We just do the business logic and the rationale for that was really that the front-end technology was evolving so rapidly and is still evolving so rapidly. So we thought that when I build a website, I want to be able to replace the front-end technology with whatever cool front-end technology that is available at the time. And that should just be fully decoupled from the back-end platform. And again, some other guys were already experimenting with headless e-commerce at the time and we just thought hey if we want to do advanced e-commerce and want to do e-commerce for brands with brand authentic websites that are more than just cat pages and product details pages and a checkout this is the way to go makes sense and you seem to be i've never used central before so you know i'm making some assumptions based on the collateral i've seen and the information on your website and also from what i've heard from other users of the platform is that you guys always had the vision from day one similar to other e-commerce platforms like vtex and some other of the more modular platforms out there even though vtex is a monolithic platform not headless but as i understand it your vision was always to have not just the commerce engine itself, but you realized pretty early on that there are other components to the stack that we need to offer out of the box as part of our platform so, so that merchants don't need to have three, four, five vendors of different components of the commerce stack that then have to be independently integrated together. You wanted to have a modular system that was pre-integrated natively. So for example, you guys have your DOM, your distributed order management system, not just the commerce platform itself, but the order management component, including subscriptions and fulfillment as part of the order management flow. You've got your cross-border commerce module with to where you can run multiple front ends and you can have localized payments and inventory. So effectively, multi-location inventory is part of the core platform, plus a product, in, or I guess what we'd consider like a light PIM specifically yeah. aimed at fashion, all within the one form and including B2B functionality as well as a, it's like a wholesale module. So really yeah. your vision, as I understand it, was, hey, we want to build out the plumbing for all of these components as part of the commerce stack, out of the box, pre-integrated, natively designed to work together. Yeah, that's correct. When you develop this type of software, a huge question is what should we include in the software? and what you would not include because we are big believers in best of breed obviously we don't want to be the solution for everything but what you realize is there are some parts of the business logic that you just want to have we think at least pre-integrated so it re works really well together and that includes the components that you mentioned so indeed yes we have a distributed order management now it's not an order management system we would never sell Centra as an order management system Centra is the first part of the order management workflow where we decide essentially which order should go to what warehouse and and also the reverse of that saying what inventory is available globally to which ship to address mm -hmm. why do we have that for that reason right we want to be able to do give a delivery promise in the checkout so then we think that's the way to to do that. We also have a light PIM system. Again, that doesn't mean that Centra isn't a PIM system. Centra isn't a PIM system in a traditional regard, but we believe that e-commerce is all about displaying product information in the best way possible. And a lot of the ways that you drive both conversion rate and AOV is actually related to how you present products. And then we want to tie that into the platform. We also have obviously pricing in the platform. And then we can actually tie those things together and price and offer discounts based on what inventory is available, you know, what what the 
products are that we're selling. And that really is what enables doing like advanced bundling functionality, for example, to drive AOV up. So we believe it should be like a tight offering of core components for essentially the commerce engine thing of sites that fit together and interoperate very well. Then there are things, of course, that we don't do when it comes to things such as payments. We're not doing payments. We integrate with whatever PSP you want to integrate with. We're not doing emails. We're not an ESP. We're not a CRM. We're not a CDP. We still think there are places where you can draw the line and we're not a CMS either. We don't do the content management. And so I'm guessing in certain scenarios, depending on the maturity and the cl- complexity of the merchant in question, they may already have PIM system. For example, they might be using a PIM core, they might be using Riversand, or they might be using whatever they might be using, and they might bring that along for the ride as opposed to migrating to your PIM or that data then can be fed effectively into your PIM to be able to create the different combinations of products, whether it be a bundle or whether it be a kit, whether it might, whatever it might be, those can still be built out in Centra for presentation on the front end as part of the merchandising exactly. engine. Yeah, that's exactly how you would do it. In that case, you would integrate the PIM. The PIM would automatically feed data into Centra. And you can work with the enrichment, essentially, of the products for the e-commerce channel in Centra. And that would include, for example, setting up your bundling strategy and bundle pricing strategy in Centra. So that's how you would work with it. Of course, it's headless. Everything is open API. So you could also integrate, you could also send data from the PIM directly to the front-end website and compose make your composition that way instead. So that would also work. But indeed, the most common thing would be to feed products from the PIM into Centra. Yeah, makes sense. And then I'm guessing that because you also have a wholesale module that services B2B functionality, and for example, in the B2B world, pricing is a attribute of the customer, not an attribute of the product. Absolutely. And what that would typically mean is that for you guys, you would be able to support multiple price lists, even down to a price list per customer, if ne- if necessary, with the, and obviously their own, for example, their own currencies, their own, their own tiered pricing, their own MOQs, all that sort of stuff that's pretty common to wholesale. Presumably, yeah. that's all part of your wholesale module as well. Yeah, exactly. That's completely correct. So one thing we realized, so Centra only works with brands. So we work with companies that design and have their own products produced with their own label on them. One thing that sets brands apart is, of course, they don't only sell direct to consumer, they also sell to retailers that in turn sell direct to consumer with wholesale business logic. And when we started out with the idea to do wholesale e-commerce, people thought it was almost crazy. But I think the world world is catching up on that front and and, uh, B2B buyers today, they are millennials. They don't want to have to send emails or call someone to place an order. They want to be able to place a a wholesale order online and they want to, uh, they expect the full automation when it comes to to notifications about statuses and so on that you would expect in an e-commerce store. So indeed we have a wholesale e-commerce functionality in Centra. And as you are describing the there are some differences there, not least when it comes to pricing. So typically what you have is several different base price lists for different types of customers. And then you would have different types of discounting strategies on top of those price lists. And in wholesale also everything, one difference in wholesale is like everything exists on the timeline. So in normal direct consumer e-commerce, then we expect that an order is placed. It's paid immediately and shipped as soon as possible. That's not the case in wholesale. In wholesale, you would have different payment terms, shipping terms. It might be that you place an order. It is shipped in three months after it has been produced. And then you get an invoice um, upon shipping and that 
invoice has a certain payment term, 30 days or 60 days or whatever it might be. Or it might be more complex that you have to make a 30% prepayment with a credit card in the checkout, but the remaining 70% are invoiced later, whatever it might be. Yeah, and I love the fact that you have drawn the correlation between direct-to-consumer and wholesale brands. And I did the exact same thing when I started up my consultancy, and that's why I specialize in B2B and D2C consulting, but not necessarily B2C consulting, because the D2C merchants and the B2B merchants, what I'm finding is that because they are you know, what I consider B2B as a manufacturer, a wholesaler, or a distributor yeah. selling to business customer, but a D2C merchant is a manufacturer, a wholesaler, or distributor selling to an end consumer. But what they have in exactly. common, what they have in common is that they're a manufacturer, wholesaler, or distributor. And so they are, it's my way of thinking, absolutely kissing cousins, and they have more in common with each other than, for example, D2C and B2C or B2B and B2C. They, ha- they have much more to, to tie them together. And I'm seeing much more of a decision, a very intentional decision in the market for formerly D2C only brands to establish a wholesale channel. And Absolutely. similarly for wholesale brands that started out and there were only ever wholesale brands to establish a D2C route to market alongside that. And in Absolutely. all cases, it's an effort to de-risk their business. It's an effort to increase their distribution channels. It's an effort to create a more direct line to the end consumer and create that feedback loop of product development and pricing and remarketing and all those things all rolled into one. And it's very interesting to see that you've drawn that very direct correlation between direct consumer brands and wholesale brands and how they overlap. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think we see both of these trends that you mentioned. First of all, the wholesale-only type businesses, brands that move into direct-to-consumer, I think that makes complete sense. Of course, direct-to-consumer is arguably the most important sales channel for, for brands today. So that's pretty easy to understand. But we also indeed see exactly what you mentioned, the move in the other direction. So born digital direct-to-consumer-only brands that add a wholesale channel to the mix. And you might ask, why, why would you do that? Isn't wholesale a business? model of the past and it might be the wrong move for some brands but we see we see huge advantages in that for many brands first of all if you're entering a new market being present being present at some at the right multi-brand retail stores is really an excellent way to enter a new market and to build brand awareness secondly it's a way to build volume higher volume means lower manufacturing prices most brands, because they do a lot of collections that with a lot of different styles, with different colors, different sizes, they don't run very large production batches. And increasing volume can be a huge driver of profitability by bringing production costs down. And thirdly, um, it's about the de-risking, cap- de-risking the business because not only do you add another channel, but in wholesale, you can actually take large pre-orders upfront. So you actually don't sit with all the inventory risk, but you actually share it with your wholesale buyers. So we see a lot of brands moving both wholesale to direct to consumer and direct to consumer to wholesale. And of course, for a brand that operates both channels, it's a question of optimizing the business. It's partly a question about optimizing the channel mix. So what do I keep as a direct to consumer exclusive? What do I sell? also wholesale, but only to my premium wholesale accounts. What do I need to get rid of uh, as quickly as possible, meaning I will sell it to any anyone who wants to buy it, whether it's direct consumer or wholesale? Absolutely. Yeah. And what I'm also seeing in addition to those two models is even a more blended model whereby you have brands 
that that do all three. They manufacture, they wholesale, they sell direct to consumer, plus in many instances alongside their own products. They will also be a B2C brand and maybe maybe 25 or 50% of their catalog is reselling other people's yeah. goods alongside their own goods. And so we do see nowadays that these business models are very much the lines are becoming increasingly blurred with the ability Absolutely. to sell digitally. Absolutely. And also in the digital world, it's so easy to experiment, try out some new business models, try out reselling some products, whatever you want to do. And so we absolutely see that as well. And we also see the move in the other direction, of course, coming to us. We have several clients coming to us with multi-brand retail offering, B2C multi-brand retail offering. And what they say is, hey, we are introducing private labels. We have a few of them. We want to move more in that direction. And they introduce private labels that direct the consumer and also sell that wholesale. So we see all things happening in parallel. <laughs> Absolutely. And... For you guys, what does the dialogue typically look like? Because historically, headless commerce has been obscenely expensive, obscenely complex, and it's and still is to a large degree. Let's not fool ourselves here. The headless for most brands is not is not viable until they get to say fifty to hundred million a year in GMV. Then it starts to become a little bit more viable for them. But it's still a much more complex go to market proposition than with your traditional monolithic commerce platforms. And so. When it comes down to the dialogue that you're having with brands that are coming to you guys, are you seeing any instances where they go, look, we love Centra, the platform, but we would also love it if you guys also offered a headless front end that was hosted by you guys so that we didn't have to worry about the infrastructure, we didn't have to worry about scalability, we didn't have to worry about you know PCI compliance, we didn't have to worry about all these other front end things. We love the headless model, but we'd love for you guys to host the theme and the storefront engine in addition to the back end business logic. How do you guys deal with those types of discussions that many brands, they might want to adopt headless, but they also want to not move away from entirely the value of say SaaS platforms and one of the biggest values of SaaS platforms versus something like the legacy Magento offering is this whole what single throat to choke. It's one vendor, does all the hosting, does all the infrastructure, does all the scaling, and we don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And they do all the security, all the patching, all the upgrades, and we no longer have to worry about any of that stuff. We can worry about running our business. So what yeah. do those kind of discussions typically look like when you're talking to merchants who are considering moving to the headless model and potentially adopting Centra? Yeah, great question. So typically it goes a little something like this. So first of all, we actually offer a SaaS front-end as a service for wholesale. And right. We call it Centra Showroom. And our idea with that is essentially that wholesale and wholesale the brand identity, it's important, but it's not that important. Wholesale yeah. commerce is very complex. Yeah. Uh, so you know what we offer, SaaS front-end as a service, you just literally just turn it on. And it works and you can upload some assets, media, style it your way, but it's completely front-end as a service, delivered as a SaaS, automatically updating. So that we certainly see. When it comes to the direct-to-consumer side of things, our approach so far has been, we, what we do is, because we have a fairly comprehensive backend offering, you don't end up in these crazy composable commerce projects where you need to write tons of code to integrate a bunch of different services to solve a problem and then by the way ending up with a huge code base that need to be maintained over time mm -hmm. you don't end up in that if centra headless front-end project is a much smaller project than you would 
associate with than you might associate with those type of implementations. Our approach, with that being said, our approach so far has been that we really see a huge value in the custom build frontend when it comes to the user customer experience we can offer by working with web agents and actually doing custom builds, both when it comes to the type of the doing advanced e-commerce, essentially, that anything is possible or whatever you can imagine can be done, and that any type of storytelling and, and the customer journey is possible. So far, we've seen, we've seen that resonates very well with the brands we work with. What we see, we do see a limitation. We can't serve super small brands. It just doesn't work. Yeah. If, you know, it doesn't work for us. And uh, I got to be honest, that's hard. Sometimes we get requests from brands and they're really nice brands and we would love to work with them. But we just realized that's doing a several hundred hour project with a web agency to come up with a fully bespoke design and then implementing that and then maintaining that's just not feasible for them. Doesn't mm-hmm. make sense because here are two guys with some great designs and good ideas. Yes. And it doesn't work. And that hurts. But what we do currently is with say say no to them. There are third-party front-end as a service solutions running on Sentra. Sure. So through through partners we can solve it, but we don't offer it ourselves. Might be something for the future. Yeah, that whole front end piece is it starts to get pretty complex pretty fast. But I but to your point, it, it does make sense to me. If you can provide, say, it's the 80-20 rule, right? If you can provide 80% of the back end services out of the box that a brand would typically need to run their operations, and that 80% is pre-integrated, which means that instead of having instead of having necessarily in all instances a completely separate pin, a, a completely separate OMS, a completely separate WMS, a completely separate cross-border platform, completely separate wholesale platform, instead of having all those, if you can have all of those at least in one stack that's pre-integrated and with through one collective set of APIs that you can surface through the front end, then certainly that by definition is going to reduce the overall complexity of the headless project from the word go. What we aim to deliver is a platform where all of the features and functionality that all brands need, and that also in all fashion or lifestyle brands with international ambitions, type of features when it comes to product management, pricing, different types of discounted pricing, clever campaigning, when it comes to taxes, when it comes to payments, when it comes to sending emails, however, all of that core business functionality is either solved in Centra or solved by third-party software that is pre-integrated, meaning you just turn on the plugin, essentially install the plugin that connects it. Offer that, yeah. No, sorry. No, you finished. I thought you were done. So no, you carry on. No. So the point I wanted to make is, so we try to take care of all of that heavy lifting. And that means the project you do for building custom code, it's really only about building the things that differentiate. So it's about building a custom design frontend, implementing that design and building any type of integrating or building any type of services that are not out of the box from Centra, and that would typically be services that are unique to your brand. You might want to have a product configurator that is highly custom, or you maybe you offer made-to-measure clothing, and you need to actually build an app for it that sort of calculates what a piece would cost based on how many meters of fabrics fabric is needed or something like that. But you only essentially invest in building and maintaining the stuff that differentiate all the common core business logic we handle. And it's uh, delivered as a SaaS. And how do you guys approach the 
other third-party type systems that you guys might not be either you might not offer at all or you might not have what you even consider to be yourself best of breed and i'll just give you like two examples of common functionality in the market that is is really diffuse in the sense that there's a lot of vendors out there attacking these two problems so one is search and merch and one is personalization right and so we've got you've got the likes of algoli you've got nasta you've got you've got almost an unlimited number of search merchant and personalization platforms in the marketplace. That's what they really truly specialize in and are very good at. So I'm guessing that out of the box, you do have a native site search functionality that you can tap into via API. But then I'm guessing where you guys might say, well, look, we're not an Algolia and we don't ever want to be an Algolia. That's not our that's not our goal. We want to provide something usable out of the box, but we're not going to be world leading at this piece of functionality. Is that where you would typically have either an out of the box connector for that third party solution or where you're going to facilitate and aid the agency in integrating that into your solution? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So in Indeed, Centro is it's not an Algola, it's not a search merge personalization tool. Obviously, a lot of things is, are happening in this space. Many things are going on, a lot of innovation. And and what you would, and actually, I think one of the advantages of headless commerce is you have full control over how you merge. You're not locked into some pre-built functionality that is just up to you, but sorry, out of the box of the platform, but you actually have full control yourself. And the brands want to merge in different ways. So some someone wants to do visual merchandising, planning the pages, exactly how a collection should look, whatever. Someone wants to do rule-based merchandising, setting up mm-hmm. rules, how it should work. A third brand wants to just get an AI to do the best they can and do it for them. A fourth mm-hmm. brand wants to do a combination, the other three ways of merchant merchandising. And that means what our agency partners do, they would in a discovery phase together with the brands discuss how merchant how merchandising should work. Mer- usually merchandising and personalization at the same time. And uh, then usually, and the search tools, it can often be the same tool, right? Mm-hmm. Then you would pick a tool and you would integrate it for the build that you do for the client. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And I guess that just reaffirms the fact that you're not trying to necessarily be all things to all merchants mm-hmm. because that's an impossibility. And why would you even try? Because then you, you end up not being perfect for anyone. But from what you're seeing in the market, would you say that where Centra or where Headless Full Stop starts to make sense is when they're, say, around 50 million GMB on up would that be the kind of scale and especially if they've got global ambitions and especially if they're a multi-brand retailer is that where that starts to make a whole lot more Uh, sense to most merchants we we can go a lot smaller than that we can go a lot smaller than that if they have 10 million gmv or sometimes even less than that it's possible to do a really nice stellar headless build for them where you really get the value out of it I think when we see go implementing Centra is not the 10,000 hour project with a consultancy. It's much less than that. It's possible if you just want to do custom front end, custom design, super stellar looking, then you're looking at less than a thousand hours with an agency. Usually you want to do something more, right? Or you actually mm-hmm. want to integrate some services. You want to maybe pull in Algolia. You want to pull in maybe personalization engine and so on, which is not super much work, but still maybe you want to integrate the loyalty management system or some type of CDP, let customers collect points or something like that. Mm-hmm. Adds some integration work and making that work in the bespoke way you want. But we're not speaking about these 10,000 hour plus projects. 
people might because I've seen a lot of headless it. projects that have unwound because they were ten thousand hour projects. And but you can you can get monolithic if you see a, f- a fully integrated monolithic project. Those can very, very easily, especially if you've got those other third-party systems that need to be integrated in, you can pretty rapidly get up to a 1,500 or 2,000-hour monolithic project as well. And with that budget, you can easily do a headless project, mm-hmm. etc. So, yeah, we think the business case comes earlier. One thing to think about when you go headless, I think for some brands, they just want the performance, basically. It's like they want to have the front-end tech stack that enables a super fast site. What most brands that come to us want to do, they want to development online really quickly want to own the front end they know that anything is possible whatever the idea they come up with is technically possible to implement and then what you need is a certain budget right to allocation for doing continuous business development online if you don't have that you miss out one of the opportunities of headless commerce is essentially to be able to do online business developer faster than you would be able to do with the monolithic technology. If you don't have that budget allocation for doing that continuously, then you miss out on that opportunity. I couldn't agree more. Now, for you guys, given the, I guess, the growth of mock and the growth of headless over the years, I think headless adoption is probably going to slow down a little bit as the market contracts, just because there's not as big of budgets these days for headless projects as maybe there were back in 2021, for example. So I think there will be a little bit of a chill in the headless market just because it's still relatively immature. It's still relatively nascent as a concept, as a as an overall architectural schema for e-commerce. I think it's still in, in pretty early days. But for you guys, who do you guys see as your competition in the market? Do you see this commerce? Who are you running across? in the market when you're pitching to, to win clients? Is it Fabric? Is it Commerce Tools? Is, is it Magento slash Adobe Commerce? Is it Big Commerce? Who is it out there? Or do you think that you're in a world of your own in the way that I, you guys do things? Or do you feel like, hey, we don't really have competition in the market? There there are so many systems in the market. There certainly is competition by all of the ones you mentioned and a lot more of them as well, when brands come to us and they want to do the full, the full setup, including direct to consumer and wholesale, then we have very few direct competitors because the way we solve both the channels is fairly unique. But then, but we compete with all of those players, and we we are in the mid market, like mid market, from starting from smaller mid market brands, and then upwards. And that means we have different type of compet- competitors and different for different customer segments. So the, the larger clients, they would be on something like uh, Salesforce might consider commerce tools, might uh, look at that SAP in the past. We mm-hmm. have here in the Nordics, Episerver, which is now called Optimizely Strong. So you have all of those players. And uh, But then we also have mid-market brands that have grown and they are they are on uh, big commerce or they are on Shopify Plus or some of them are on WooCommerce doing uh, several hundred million on WooCommerce. And so it's really that so many different platforms out there. Uh, That's phenomenal. It's crazy, right? Like I, I occasionally will come across brands that want to work with me that are on WooCommerce and they're doing, they're doing $50 million a year on WooCommerce or maybe even you know, more in some instances. And it just blows my mind because I would never... I would never imagine I mean, that a brand would well, ever get to that scale on WooCommerce no, before they reform. It's so impressive what they're doing, really making the most out of that platform. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. And then I'm guessing that once they get to you, they go, oh my God, I didn't even know this was possible. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
or what are we going to do with all the people that we had that are were administrating this? Yes, you know, we can. <laughs> what are we going to do? Maybe they can work with marketing or bringing new revenue instead of just doing admin stuff. Yes, absolutely, and and trying to manage scaling and try to manage integration with the CMS and everything else. Yeah, it's pretty full on now for you guys. What is on your radar in terms of functionality or new platform development or new integrations? What's high on your radar? that is a priority for you guys over the next 12 to 18 months? Or is there anything specific that your customers are pretty routinely asking you for in terms of functionality that is now a priority for you guys that you don't do today? Yeah, no, not really. We're going deeper in where we stand. So it's more about improving existing functionality and fine tuning it. And you're really helping the merchants running Centra to, to get more value out of the platform, really help them out with their business, increasing the AOV, increasing the CR, understanding the business, optimizing between the channels and so on. So we're really focusing there. I think one feature development that we are bringing out is we're bringing out a new version of, of our APIs that the developers use to build the front end website on top of. So that we're super, super excited about. We're making a big push in, in developer experience by offering a new uh, set of APIs. That's also, a, and one thing there is actually to your point about the cost being an effort being, being for smaller brands is actually to make it even easier to build a front end more convenience and bring the complexity down. So I think that's the biggest feature we're bringing out. Other than that, we're bringing out more complex discounting logic it is already very complex in Centra and you can do a lot of things, but we are going even deeper there when it comes to just the price optimization, also on a global scale, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I can see the extra needs there for very complex brands and especially multi-brand retailers. That makes a lot of sense because their merchandising and their pricing models can be very different between the brands. So you've got to be able to support that holistically in a single platform. Now, are you seeing in the market, what I've started to see is that there's a completely... I wouldn't say new, but certainly a burgeoning opportunity out there for SaaS, your SaaS front ends, that they're only the front end, to be able to plug in two platforms like Centra. With most of the projects that you're working on today, are they typically completely bespoke React front ends, or are most agencies starting to work with other platforms like Vue or Shogun or some more of the kind of more complete out-of-the-box front yeah. ends that, that require less of a from investment in time and we, energy and learning? We see both. So we certainly see that we see the vast majority of sites that are being built on like a vanilla start from a clean sheet. This is the requirement specification. This is the user experience we want to create. Let's go. But we see an increase in using different types of front end as a, either front end as a service or front-end accelerators that are not delivered as a service, but still that has a lot of the heavy lifting. When I'm, I actually, we had a round table uh, some time ago with some of our agency partners and uh, discussed the topic. And what they said was the following, that if we are, if we have a budget constrained project, then we'd love to use some sort of front-end as a service. It cuts time to market, it cuts hours, it's really good. But if we have a project that it's not constrained when it comes to budget, then we'd rather go and do a completely bespoke build because it basically means when you go with a front-end as a service or any type of pre-built front-end, there's a lot of code there that you don't need. So you want to avoid that and just go with a fully bespoke build. And that means you can actually deliver a better product. Yeah. So they see it as a trade-off, like more constrained budget, any type of accelerator, front-end as a service, whatever is great. No budget constraints. Okay custom build is, is the better solution. 
And what I'm seeing out there is just that front end as a service model. I think that we're going to see some pretty big movements in that space over the next few years. I think that Shopify, for example, and I know that obviously you guys are going after quite different markets to Shopify, but I think that just the very nature of the fact that Shopify is moving to a headless model on its own platform with hydrogen and oxygen, I think that is almost the blueprint that most platforms, even if they're a monolithic platform today, and even if they're a monolithic SaaS platform today, I think that virtually every single one of those, and even the SaaS monolithic platforms that offer headless APIs as part of their offering, I think that if we were to look out across the landscape over the next five years or so, I think that every single one of those platforms will go headless on their own platform, meaning that they will have their own headless front end, they will have their own yeah. headless back end, and you will be able to deploy them in a monolithic fashion, meaning that, yeah. you, that those two components will still be hosted by the same vendor, but they will go headless on their own platform as almost like a proof of concept that headless can work on their own platform. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I think I think we'll certainly see that happening. I think... There's like a difference between headless and headless. Now, no one knows what anything means, right? It's headless and it's composable and no one really knows what anything means. But I think for me, there's something about being headless, offering an API-based platform that means being agnostic about the front end. So the front end could be anything. It's not like there's an API that is tailor-made for a certain like headless front end as a service, but it's an API that is architected to support any type of front-end experience you want to uh, have. And j- just to draw that to an extreme front-end experience, it could be a website, but with Centric, it could also be an in-store device that you put in your brick-and-mortar store to offer like an endless aisle shopping experience. That could also be a front-end. It can really be anything, right? PWA, uh, a kiosk, whatever. Yes, whatever, right? But in general, like having a front-end that communicates with a back-end using an API, that's that's how we build front-end applications today. So I think all players will move in that direction. I also think the front-end, pre-built front-end, obviously that space will evolve. As you said, we've seen a lot of interesting things happening in the front-end as a service space. More things will happen. Yeah, stay tuned. I think I'm very curious about what the future brings. And what we have seen recently is that brands that we would have thought never would consider a front-end as a service solution are actually doing that. Mm -hmm. They are saying we value the time to market, the simplicity. Yes, this load speed is maybe slightly slower. Yes, there are a lot of things we can't do. There is limited flexibility. Some things just are very difficult to integrate or whatever, but still it's good enough and it gives us very low time to market and very few concerns. We just know that this is operated by someone else as a front-end, as a service. We can focus on building our brand and marketing and developing products and developing our brand. I think that's particularly relevant to brands that have come from a SaaS platform, monolithic SaaS platform background, where they're used to being constrained already to a degree on the front end, the back end, used to working within the boundaries of the SaaS vendor, but they've come to love, appreciate, and respect the nature of the SaaS platform and not having to worry about scalability, not having to worry about security, patching, upgrades, version control, all that stuff. They really embraced that. And that's why SaaS has become so popular as the primary software delivery yeah. model of virtually every category of software in the world now. SaaS is a world of software. And I think yeah. for those brands, adopting, if they're serious about adopting headless, then they would be prime candidates for a front-end as a service model because they're already used to working within that model. 
I haven't thought about that, but I think you are completely right. And indeed, for them, it's a migration path. And when they move to a headless platform and a headless and front-end as a service, that still means, of course, that they have the flexibility. If they ever feel that they have grown out of this front-end as a service, they can still do a bespoke build. And it's not a big change later on. You're absolutely right. I haven't thought about that. Wow. Amazing, Martin. This, is, this has been such an awesome chat. Now, for you guys, how do you make your money? How do you price your platform? How do you charge the merchant? Is it based on a transaction fee? Is it based on a modular fee, a, a number of sessions fee? How do you guys make your money? Yeah, so it's a very straightforward pricing model. So we decided early on we want to have a straightforward pricing model without any hidden fees or extra fees that, that you don't see from the beginning. So we price, it's a modular pricing. And and so you can select either you want the direct to consumer module or the wholesale module. And then the fees essentially tiered based on order volume. So if you have a higher order volume, then you pay more. And when it comes to all of the underlying costs per whatever transfer, gigabyte or API calls or anything like that, we just bundle that in. So that's not something you need to worry about. You, if you know how many orders you're having through the platform, that determines your price and that's it. Okay. So it's a, it's on a, on a, it's on a consumption basis or on a transactional basis, which makes sense. Exactly. You know, you're, you're tagging, you're tagging into that. In terms of when the brand scales, then obviously they need more resources, they need more infrastructure, and therefore your cost is higher, therefore their cost has to be higher, which just makes sense. Exactly. You scale with them. So that, that makes complete sense. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about Centra, if they want to speak to you, are the best to just go to Centra, C-E-N-T-R-A dot com, click get a demo, go that way, check out case studies. How would you prefer that people get a hold of you? Yeah, just go to Centra.com, check out our website, get in touch through there, or for sure, send, just send us an email. And do you like people reaching out to you on LinkedIn and places like that? Yeah, feel free to do that. Happy to connect with everyone. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Now, we're coming to the end of our time together, and now is the point where I get to flip the script and hand the microphone over to you and let you ask me one question. Any question you like can be personal, can be professional. So I'd love to hand the mic over to you. Martin Jensen from Centra Commerce, what's your question for me? I have a very good question, I think, at least for you. So you spend a lot of time speaking with different people in e-commerce and with a lot of different perspectives. My question to you is the following. So what do you think will be the most, or if you can't pick one, in that case, the three most, important trends in e-commerce in the coming years? Yeah, very good question. Look, I think if you'd asked me this before the blow up of FTX, I would have said that Web3 and everything associated with Web3 and XR and everything else were going to probably make a bigger impact in, say, the five to 10 year time span than I think now. I think the way that whole industry has gone is probably set back adoption of Web3 by at least a decade would be my guess, mm. just based yeah. on what I'm seeing today and based on what I'm seeing in terms of regulation that's going to have to come to specifically the crypto space before trust can be rebuilt in that space. And particularly as VCs are being talked about by just about every major country in the world now, I think there's going to be a lot of developments in that space. There's still going to be a lot of development, but I don't think it's going to reach consumers in the timelines that maybe the rest of us thought it might, and certainly not based on the timeline that people like Mark Zuckerberg thought, which is we're seeing his shift in priorities mirror yeah. that thinking, right, with the cuts to, to all of the metaverse ambitions that they had. But what we are seeing is we're seeing 
AI become pretty much the talk of the town with ChatGPT. But what we're seeing, I think, rather than this being a direct-to-consumer product in terms of, for example, individual merchants signing up to an AI service provided by AWS, I don't think that's really how it's going to work. I think it's too complex for most brands to adopt. But what I think we are going to see is I think we're going to see all the major platform providers, and we're already starting to see moves in this direction, where they're going to bring AI more more clearly into their own platforms and technologies and products. And then the merchants will consume them via the platform vendors that they've already been consuming technology from. And yeah. I'll give you one example. If I already talked about using ChatGPT into their platform, the process of writing product descriptions as just one example, right? To where that's that just becomes part of the workflow of enriching pro- product information inside the platform. And I think we're going to see lots more examples of that where it just is seamlessly integrated in. We look at the platforms, platform announcements, even something as simple as Intercom announcing a couple of days ago that they're going to introduce a toggle or they have introduced a toggle into the back end where instead of having to build out conversational AI from scratch and conversational workflows in the back end using a conversation designer, now by introducing ChatGPT into the platform, it will automatically update the conversation based on the data available in the platform in the knowledge base. And so it will constantly be updated in near real time with new information in the knowledge base so that the conversational AI can be current at all times as it interacts with end customers. Now, those are just two examples of how I think that ChatGPT and technologies like it, these large language model AI systems, will be integrated into core technology that brands use every single day. So they won't need to go out and custom integrate anything. It will just be part of the service that they extend to their customers by by definition of their association with those underlying tech. Yeah, I think you're completely right about that. I think think LLM is like one of, it's a huge shift. It's like a really big thing. It will change a lot of things. And I agree with you completely that it will just be integrated in all sorts of software that that we use and that will happen much quicker than people think. And there are also other types of models that are highly relevant. You mentioned product descriptions based on some guidelines, probably about the brand tonality and the product metadata. I think pretty soon we'll see an AI that just looks at the images you have. Yeah, just, AI to AI models, you know, right? Like yeah, you got machine vision out. talking to the AI. Maybe it can't figure out the country of origin based on looking at an image, but for sure a lot of the, it, it will just, it will be automated. Yeah, it's going to change everything. And I think also what it's going to change is, for example, even for companies like Centra, I think that with the way that we now can write codeless tech, right, and the way that auto-prompting can be for a lot of new coding nowadays, yeah. I think that instead of having to, for example, have maybe 50 or 100 developers on staff, maybe now you can get away with 25 because the, I guess, the efficiency of being able to write new code and the way in which we write new code is going to change fundamentally. And so I think people that, for example, are going to be able to be prompt engineers for AI, that's a whole new skill set that is going to have to be developed to get the most out of the AI instead of being, for example, a conversational designer in your old life, maybe now you're a prompt engineer, right? And yeah. so I think I don't think it's necessarily going to put more people out of a job, but what I do think it's going to do is going to fundamentally change the types of jobs that those same technical people do, and it's going to make them exceptionally more efficient in every single task that is, is assigned to them, basically. Yeah, 
absolutely. And there are lots of jobs that are going to change completely, and that's going to happen within the next few years. Yes, absolutely no question about that. Listen, mate, it has been fabulous speaking with you. I appreciate you sharing all your knowledge, your experience, your wisdom, and you know all about what you're doing over at Centra and how you see the market moving because you're so close to it. Really appreciate your time and I'd love to get you back on another another 12, 18 months and see where Centra is at that mm-hmm. time. So congratulations on what you've built so far and all the best in the future. Thank you very much and thanks for having me. Are you a B2B or D2C e-commerce merchant? Then head over to greenwoodconsulting.net to learn how we can help you scale your business.